And welcome to another episode of Hidden for the Cycle. I'm your host, Hank and Dichter, and um, got some interesting stuff to talk about as usual. But before we get to that, get to that, as always, I'd like to remind you guys, please give us a follow on all of our forms of social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And in addition, please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. And anyways, let's get right into it. First of all, let's talk about the Mets and uh, some big news going on with them. Uh, I think, first of all, let's start off with the big elephant in the room regarding the New York Mets, and that is the health of Jacob deGrom. Jacob deGrom pitched three innings in his last start. He drove in yet another run, and guys, I want to give you a fun fact. Jacob deGrom has actually driven in more runs than run than allowed any runs at all this season. Absolutely unreal. Six runs as opposed to giving up only four, and um, actually I have a few comments coming your way. Tom Scavetta says, hello, you can catch Tom as always on Tuesday nights and review and preview and during the football season, you can catch him and I on Big Blue Avenue. And then we got our guest, uh, Ben Cruz. Hi, Hank. What's up, Tom? Good to see you again, Ben. Thanks again for joining me on last week's show. And uh, my mom, as always, one of my biggest fans, says happy Thursday. Great to see you guys. And folks, remember, if you have a comment and you want to bring up any important points that I'm going to make, please don't hesitate to leave a comment down below. I always love hearing your feedback and your opinions, but anyways, uh, back to the Mets. And uh, I should also mention pretty soon, we will be having one of Review and Preview Zone as a guest tonight, Kyle Russo from Tom's assistant on the main show. I'm excited to be talking some Yankees with him. And um, anyways, back to the Mets. Jacob deGrom, three innings, struck out eight Chicago Cubs. Unfortunately, he ended up leaving very early from that game. I know Ben Cruz, actually, we talked on the side. He was at that game. I'm sure... He must have had a lot of fun there. And, um, you know, I think one of the big things that I really think about is should the Mets have possibly skipped that start as a precautionary? Because remember, he left another start before that also due to an injury concern. And, you know, as great of a pitcher as he is and as much as you'd like to have him on the mound every fifth day, you also got to remember he's an important part of your starting rotation. And while it's it's pretty decent rotation without him, I'm not going to lie, still, you never know it. He, I think it's probably for the best if they decide to put him on the IL and have him like skip a start. Like I know his health came back pretty clean too, but I, I think they'd be better off letting him skip one just because again, this is the ace of your staff. This is the best pitcher in baseball. You're already five games in first place. I need, I know they've got a gauntlet of games coming up that I will get into pretty shortly, but you know, it's, it's just something that it's something to really think about with the Mets because they, they really don't want to screw their season up over one little mistake that could be handled easily. But anyway, speaking of pitching, another big thing regarding the Mets is the day before Taiwan Walker had a 12 strikeout game against the Chicago Cubs and he only gave up two runs. And, you know, there's a few things to take away from Taiwan Walker. This was a guy that the Mets signed this off season. He had a pretty decent career. He was with Toronto last year and he spent most of his career under the radar as a star in Seattle, like he was very underrated and somehow the Mets were the only team that even tried to sign him during this off season. You know what, as it turned out, that pretty much worked out for the best because Taiwan Walker has proven to be an absolutely huge addition. And, you know, it begs the question too, how many other teams right now are kicking themselves with looking at their pitching rotations and saying, Hey, why didn't we sign this guy? I mean, look, as a Yankee fan, I personally would have loved to have had him on my rotation, but you know, that's neither here or there. That's the discussion for another day. And I think the next question 
that should be asked is, are the Nets a lock for the playoffs yet, or will we know that once they get through the NL East gauntlet? Before I get into the standings right now, let me read off their next opponents right now for you, shall I? They have four games in D.C., one of which, one I believe it's the Saturday that's a doubleheader. They've got four games back home in Atlanta, and then, or actually, let me rephrase that. They've got four games, or they got a home eight-game homestand against division rivals, four games against Atlanta, one of which is doubleheader, and then they have another series against Philly, also four games, again, a doubleheader. See the pattern here? A lot of games they had to make up due to COVID stuff or weather-related games that had to be canceled. It's a little crazy right now, but again, this is 2021. Anything can happen, so... You know, it'll be interesting to see how, how they get those in and what happens there. And then after the Philly series, you have another makeup game in Washington before three games in Atlanta. And then, of course, a big road trip against the Yankees for the Subway Series. So you look at that, and it's not that either of these teams are chal- are like legit threats to the playoffs right now because the Washington Nationals, the Atlanta Braves, and the Philadelphia Phillies are all teams – that thus far during the season, all things considered, they've kind of been underachieving. Like they, they are, none of them are above 500. And it's crazy to think that the Atlanta Braves and the Washington Nationals are both 30 and 35. They're actually tied for third and fourth. Anything can happen this late in the season, but considering how many games the Mets have won, considering how many games ahead they are in the loss column, I think this, these games might be their chance to really make, to make up some ground a little bit if they have any shot at competing not so much for the division, for for at least a playoff spot. And then last thing I want to get into with the Mets before I before I bring on Kyle and start talking about the Yankees, it's not really so much their main guys in their starting lineup. Their bench squad has been really starting to heat up. I think one of the biggest examples is Kevin Pillar. This is a guy who, after he got hit right in the face against the Atlanta Braves, the next day he goes up and says, hey, when am I going to be playing again? a guy that really defines what being tough is all about. As a Yankee fan, I've seen him for many years play against us as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. He would always cover a lot of ground. Great fielder. Now he's established himself pretty well as a good role player for the Mets. And in that same game where they won, despite having to lose Jacob Grom pretty early, he was one of the big reasons they had a win. He got a key two-run home run. And not to mention, he's been hitting like close to 300 over the course of the last few weeks. Definitely been a great pace. And Jonathan Villar is another example of one of those guys. He's been, over the past 15 games, he's hitting at a very respectable 315. So, like, when you look at the Mets and you look at how good they are, I think not just guys like Pete Alonzo and Francisco Lindor, and I'm not even getting to the fact that you still have guys like Conforto and McNeil who you're waiting to get back from injury. That's a team that really, I think, if they're not a lock to win the division right now, I would say the Mets are in extremely good shape because, as I mentioned, they are, while they're five games ahead of Philadelphia, I believe they're seven or eight games ahead in the loss column. So that's pretty good. And you know what? Time to move on to my team, the New York Yankees. Well, actually, before we do that, let's bring up Paul Lombardi's comment. Jake will be just fine. Villar and Pilar, that's a good rhyme, by the way. We're game changers. They picked up. Yeah, for sure. And, um, Another comment from Tom, Jacob DeGrom struck out eight of nine batters last night. Pitch count was higher than you like. Clear indication that something was bothering him. Yeah, it's that's like always the thing with pitchers. Like whenever their pitch count is so high, the manager always has to remove them. It's much different than what it's been a long time ago. But, you know, he it's clear that he's really been carrying the staff for the most part of the season. But, again, you're really lucky that you got other guys like Taiwan Walker and uh, Marcus Stroman to pitch well when needed and – if you can get Syndergaard back as soon as you can, that that's that's going to be pretty scary. And right now, let's talk a little bit about my team, the New York Yankees. And as we do that, I think it is now time to bring our guest on the show, our returner, actually, and review and preview zone, Kyle Russo. Kyle, how's it going, my man? It's going good, Hank. How you doing, man? You know, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I'm glad the Yankees won this series and – Right now, as we speak, the first pitch should be starting actually very soon. I believe it's a 7-10 start, or at least that's how the Blue Jays start these things. And, you know, I'm glad they took the two games, but I'm going to be honest, I'm a little worried about this game because if you notice the Yankees' records in game three of series, it's not great. They're, I believe we've only swept one or two games, and I think it's Detroit and Chicago, correct me if I'm wrong. 
You know what it is, Hank, is that all season long, this team has been an absolute roller coaster. And even that's not a, a designated word to describe this team, in my personal opinion. And, and whether you agree or not, they've been denounced as a team that's been a disappointment. This has been a team that's in high contention every year, at least it's prompted based on predi- uh, predictions. All you hear going into the season, Hank, is AL favorites, AL favorites, and you're eight and a half back of the first place team within your own division. Now, the season was to end today. I don't even know if you make the playoffs. Now, while there's plenty of time to get back into this thing, 100 games, I mean, what really struggles for me, Hank, when you look at this team is that I don't care that you lost some games to Philly. I don't care mm-hmm. about those games against Detroit. Again, those are games right. you need to win. What I care about is this, is that you can't even beat the teams within your division. So this Toronto team, for me, you know, winning these first two games while they were definitely nail biters because it was more so the fact that the bullpen for Toronto was – blowing it late in games, it's it's good to see that they're getting back on pace as in the first series in which we opened up the season against Toronto and the Yankees were struggling to score. That's not really being the case scenario at this point in time. Winning a game 6-5 and then winning a game 3-2 the other night, and hopefully they continue that run and scoring runs because, as you know, Hank, they've been one of the worst teams in baseball with the runners in scoring position. Yeah, you don't have to tell me twice. And we actually have a few comments right here. John Gonzalez says, bring back Buck. I had it took me a bit of a few seconds to see what he meant by that comment, but I think he's talking about, I think he's talking about a guy by the name of William Nathaniel Showalter III. You obviously know him as Buck. Yeah. He managed us in the early to mid '90s. He uh, he got the Yankees back to respectability, but unfortunately, George canned him right before he had a chance to really see the dynasty go through. And he also says they still have time. I agree with what he's saying. They do have time, but the problem is, and I was saying this a few times before. That early hold that they had in April could still really come back to haunt them because let's say they have like a really good second half and then they finish like one or two out of the wild card. When I, when I look at it at the end of the day, I'm going to look at that really bad April and say, wow, those are games that really should have won. And, you know, I think you bring up – I think John brings up an interesting point too because let, let me get into Buck Showalter for a little bit. I yeah. personally think Buck Showalter has been a decent manager over the course of his career. Unfortunately, he's not a guy that has won championships. You look at his track record, he's done a good job like turning teams around, but I think there's a there's a reason why Texas fired him after a couple years. And I think and in 1995, you actually look at the playoffs, there was a big mistake in games five where he let David Cohn throw 147 pitches. Nowadays, that would be unheard of, but when you look at the guys in his bullpen, he really screwed up there. And also when you consider the fact that that's 2021 and he hasn't really managed since 2017. And by even by that time, actually, no, 2018, I take that back. It, it's not really, this is a guy that I'm thinking now he's well past his time managing. And I think he's doing a good job as a yes network studio analyst nowadays. I, if I had a choice for a manager, I would say maybe Hensley Mullins from the San Francisco giants. I know he's a guy that has a good baseball mind, but that's an interesting comment. I, I personally think Buck Showalter is decent. I just don't know if he's a guy they really need a, Anyways, getting back to the Yankees, and another thing I kind of want to bring up is, did you see that article written in NJ and or NJ Baseball today? Or I forget what it was. Goose Gossage actually made comments about the Yankees. I don't know if you saw it. No, I did not. I did not. He can't. Well, anyways, he's been going. He used to go to a lot of old timers days or meetups at Yankee Stadium, whatnot. Fun fact: I actually met him in 2017 at Yankee Stadium. He's actually a really nice guy, believe it or not. Like. Despite all the things he said, he's been pretty loud and outspoken. So you haven't really seen him at any big functions. And I think he's kind of happy being like retired and away from the public eye. But like he said something pretty interesting. He was really angry at the ownership. And he said that the Yankees these days are pretty unwatchable right now as we speak. He said that base riding isn't even at high school level. What do you think of that statement? To be honest, Hank, while it is, you know, aggressive, He's not wrong. He's really not wrong. You know, there's a game on tonight. We're on a baseball show tonight. But you got two other major New York events tonight. You got the Brooklyn Nets versus the Milwaukee Bucks. They could reach the Eastern Conference Finals. And you got the Islanders back at the barn uh, against the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I'm going to be honest. And I don't just speak for myself as as a Brooklyn Nets fan and an Islanders fan as well. I don't think a lot of New Yorkers are watching that game tonight, this Yankees game, as they look to potentially sweet for the first time in a series like you said hank and i don't even know how long this year the white Sox series 
the White Sox series, which everybody thought that was the turnaround, and then they come back to earth losing all those games to the Detroit Tigers. And I think they ended off the month of May uh, losing six out of the remaining seven games in the end of the month of May. But, again, I don't think he's wrong. He's really not wrong. I mean, this is a team, Hank, we know is a powerhouse team that doesn't hit home runs. This is a team that we have to sit comfortably with, that they don't get on base, and when they do, they don't score. Uh, they, they, they become immobile. They're not very athletic, with the exception of Judge. It's, it's very, very difficult to watch. They, get some, they have some really good pitching, but for a long period in time, the month of, the month of June has kind of turned it around a little bit. For a long period in time, they were having some of the best games, outings by their pitchers and bullpens mm-hmm. and, and closing, but zero. Zero run support. Like I was saying before, to end out the month of May, Hank, they went one for one for seven, one and six. The one game, the all the games in which they lost, if you check it out, they did not score more than two runs in any of those games. They're, they're getting no support from their batters. And then you have all the thing with the spider attack. And now, you know, we see last night in Cole's game how, you know, the pitching is still good, but the strikeouts aren't, you know, I think he only finished with four, but the hitting has evolved a little bit more. Baseball is a crazy sport right now, and the Yankees as a home run team, you know, whether you believe in the spider attack or not, whether it's affected the pitches or not, you saw that is it potentially could have affected the Yankees tremendously being such a powerhouse type of team, not really a contact type of team, just swinging for the fences, and they just weren't doing so in those first couple months. So upon further review, you know how I'm like really obsessed with like numbers and records and whatnot and trying to get things right. I actually looked up the end of May. You actually were right. They did win or lose only like they lost six of the last seven games in May. That's that's really insane. And um, yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to say this about Goose Gossage's article. As much as I've been, I don't like some of the things he said, like within a couple years ago, I know he really criticized Mariano Rivera as being a one inning closer, whereas he pitched like two or three innings a day and it would be a save like that. His comments in this article, and I'm not going to get into most of them because like there really were a few things that stuck out. He talked about like fun, them not being fundamentally sound and then making a lot of base running outs. Like he was nine out of the 10 things he said in that article we're right. And I'm going to even go as far as to say he was probably right about saying that Aaron Boone is a puppet. Cause when you really look at the way the Yankees are managed and I've been saying this for the past few years, so this is not a new Johnny come lately thing coming out of me. Like you can tell that this is really Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone collaborating on a lineup and then relying way too heavy on the analytics. And unfortunately you you, we've seen it the past few years. The Yankees often, Yankees games often do not end well when when they rely too heavily on the analytics. And so, yeah. And John Gonzalez has a comment. Goose was on the 78 team. There were 11 and a half games out in August and won it all. Actually, there were 14 and a half games out in the middle of July. Yeah, that that was a really – that was a great miracle team. That was a great story. That was the team that had the Bucky Dent home run October 2nd and then finished it off being down two games done in the World Series against the L.A. Dodgers, winning the next four. But before I go on any more tangents about legendary Yankees, let me continue – talking about the Philly series. And I want to say, I actually agree with you too, by the way, as much as I think that they should have at least won one of those two games in Philadelphia, like I can understand a split somewhat. I mean, I get that Aaron Noll was starting game two. My bigger problem with that game was the, was the lineup choices. I didn't like seeing Ruth Neto door batting third, but the fact that you get swept in that series wasn't great. And the same thing with the Detroit Tigers. But I think the real problem is if the Yankees end up missing the playoffs, at the very least by a few games, like I think the big problem is, you know, they are going to, those division losses, they're going to come back to haunt them. They're going to come back to haunt them tremendously, Hank. And it's really scary to even look at what this team is now. Cause again, there's plenty of time. We're only 60 games and still got a hundred left. And obviously we know, you know, that example alone, the 78 team where they were an 11 and a half back and won the whole thing. I'm not saying that's going to be the same case scenario for the Yankees, but the fact that they just can't, they're getting slaughtered by their own division. Week in and week out, they can't take a game away from Boston. While you look at the, uh, you look at the first game against Philly and the last game against Minnesota, two blown saves by Chapman. It's like nothing goes right for this team night in and night out. It's very difficult to watch because while I do say that these games against Philly and Detroit don't matter, they matter in the sense of this: they 
again, while they may not be the most toughest of opponents, you know, on paper, they're, they're still smacking you around. Don't, don't get me wrong. But you need to win some of those games to gain consistency and confidence in what you're putting out there. The, the Yankees have been losing. I think they've only won six games this month, and the month is over in like a week. That's not good. That's not good. How, how are you supposed to – you know, we talk about the trenches of the month of July and August. What is the mindset going into that starting off so awfully? I mean, and that's just a blatant term, but it's the truth. You're fourth in your division right now. You're eight and you're eight and a half games back. Boston just steamrolled you. You still can't seem to figure out Tampa. And even if you beat Toronto in this game tonight, yes, it's a nice confidence booster. But you've been having trouble with them all year too. So, so where do you stand as a as a team that can't even beat the teams within their own division? Yeah, exactly. It's why I really have trouble getting excited. Like, I'm always rooting for them to win. Don't get me wrong. You'll never see me root for them to lose. I'm I'm, I'm with Tom in the sense that I'm very anti-take, even though Tom's obviously a Met fan. But, like, I'm talking, like, in general, if you know what I mean. I'm just not yeah, yeah, into listen, I'm not... I'll never root for them to lose. But, like, with that having been said, when they're winning, it's like, okay, glad they won. But then it doesn't cure the problems that they have. It doesn't change the fact that, like, Brian Cashman did not build this team to to win the, to win. Like if you really look at that lineup, it's not. I may have been delusional in thinking they had a chance at winning the World Series, but even then, I thought they were. Go- Keep in mind when I said that on my first show, I thought maybe like you know there there wasn't as much competition that was going to like be a legitimate threat. Like I certainly didn't think Boston was going to be this good. I knew Tampa was going to be good, but I certainly didn't think or not Tampa. I'm sorry, Toronto. I didn't think Toronto would be like right in the middle, but I didn't think Tampa would be this good. But then again, I should have known better. I should then to underestimate the power of the Tampa Bay Rays, but that's not the point. The point is there were a lot of AL teams that I just didn't initially view as a legitimate threat. And I thought the Yankees would, if they struggled, would have more time to bounce back. And now look what's happened. Now we see the problems that they've had over the course of a few years and the way they've been built. They're finally rearing their ugly head. And, you know, I have to ask, between Cashman, this Hal Steinbrenner, and Aaron Boone, who do you see as as the main problem? Because I, to me, I, I would say maybe it's the first two names that I mentioned. I don't know about you. For me, it, it's so it, it's so difficult, and I'll tell you why it's difficult, Hank. It's because at the end of the season, that's when that question can be answered. That's when right. that question can truly be answered. It can't be answered now because Cashman is the one who assembled this team. He's right. the one that hired Boone. While I don't think that Boone is not a puppet, like I hate that term. He's not a puppet. I think he's just a guy that believes in the system that's being provided. Like that's why he got the mm-hmm. job. He believed in the analytical path. But what I, where it comes down for me is what Hal does. That's where it comes down for me is because. This is a two hundred plus million dollar payroll team, and you're struggling to to, to if this again if the season went to, to end today, you're not even in the playoffs potentially, with a two hundred million dollar payroll when you're seeing the Tampa Bay Rays winning with a sixty million dollar payroll, and you're enabling the consistency of Cashman to go back out there for another season and Boone to go back out there for another season. That's why I say wait till the end of the season because if the Yankees continue this progression, Hank, you know math is math. They're projected to potentially go right around that 500 number. They'll finish off at around 80-something wins. If they come back after something like that, Boone and Cashman, that's where the blame has to go to Steinbrenner. Because right. that's, not, that's not acceptable. This is a team that should be going in the World Series with a payroll like that. You don't, you don't yeah. see what happened with Tampa last year. That, that shouldn't be the case scenario. They shouldn't consistently, week in and week out, game in and game out, when you face them, to be on, let me be honest, Hank, and I don't know if you feel the same way. The last couple of years, the Yankees faced the Rays. I already book it in as a loss. As much as I have faith in my team and root for them, I book it in as a loss because for whatever the reason is, they never seem to beat this team, especially when they're playing in Tampa. They never beat them, ever. And again, how are you supposed to take a step further as an organization and try to profile this team as a World Series contender? When you can't even beat the team in your division that slaps you around year in and year out, how how am I supposed to believe in that? When essentially nothing has changed with the team, you know, people are again, people question some of the moves this offseason. 
I, I love the addition of DJ back, but maybe six years, you know, we're seeing that might be a little too much. Kluber was great, and now Kluber's not here. So you, you're heavily dependent upon guys like Garrett Cole to have the best of outings possible. And you're seeing, even in that case scenario, some of these games, he's not getting run support or his closers are blowing the game. Not, like I said before, and we could go on and on about this, and we probably will, nothing seems to be – name one thing, Hank, that has been really good with this team so far from April to now this point, June 17th. There, there's been – or June 18th. There's been nothing. Because even when the bullpen was good, now the bullpen in the month of May, like I said, Chapman's blown two games. Chad Green blew a game. Nick Nelson blew a game. That's not even working for them now. Even when they're, even when they're, even when they're hitting now, it's still not working. So it's like, what else can happen with this team? Good lord, Nick Nelson. I I almost forgot about that guy and that monstrosity in the bullpen. Why'd you have to bring that up? But no, the funny thing is, I. Listen, I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with your assessment about Tampa Bay. Like, obviously, I'm not talking about 2019. Like, whenever they came to the Bronx, it was it was the Yankees winning. But, like, and I'm not just going to talk about, like, the past few years. Really, any year, like, even when the Rays were bad, whenever we would go to that stupid circus tent, like, you can never guarantee that as a win. Because it, for whatever reason, like, the Yankees would, wouldn't, like, do the little things to win them, win the games there. And... I think the real reason why I feel the same way as you with regards to the Tampa Bay Rays. And again, I really shouldn't be feeling this way. If we're going to base this off of payroll, the Tampa Bay Rays are a team that is extremely well, fundamentally sound. Like they don't need to rely on hitting the home runs. They have pitching. That's like pretty decent. And they, they always seem to find a way to fix whatever hole they have whenever they get rid of like an Ian Snell or a David price or you name it. Like, the Rays are just really resourceful. I like as much as I don't want to like praise a rival at this point, you got to, to sort of paraphrase Pedro, you got to tip your hats and well, I won't call the Rays my daddies, but you know what I mean? But I anyway, yeah, yeah, no, I figured you'd get a kick out of my Pedro reference, but anyways, um, yeah. John Gonzalez actually has a few comments. He said, I actually highlighted this again, but I'm bringing it back just to emphasize like what was going on. He says that Boone has to go and George would have fired Boone by now. Again, I really don't know what to make of Aaron Boone. Like, I know he's more of a player's manager. I know he's a guy who works with Cashin. But when I say puppet, I, I just mean that he he goes along. I just don't see him as, like, the type of manager for the Yankees the way that Joe Girardi was, if you know what I mean. I I know we might have our little disagreement about that and whatnot, but that that's just how I am. And um, they need a center field. Listen. What, I, I got one for you right contracts? now. I got one for you right now. Go ahead. Go to the team that's twenty uh, has lost the last twenty three games and see what you could get for Cattell Marte. Do that. Make oh. it happen. Oh my Make god! Make it happen. Do you want to know a sad fact that I actually just looked up? Yeah. Speaking of that team that has lost twenty not twenty three straight games, twenty three straight road games. And fun fact: the last road game they won was Mad Bum's no hitter. I don't care that seven innings. I know the rule book will say it's a no hitter. It's a no hitter. It was a no hitter. Screw Rob Manfred. That's all I'm going to say. But anyways, um, the Diamondbacks have actually scored more run, 28 more runs than the Yankees have this year. I'm not exaggerating. Look it up. I literally just read an article about that today. They've scored like 28 more runs than the Yankees. How? How is that possible? This is a $200 million payroll team. I'll tell you and what. you can't even score more runs than a team that can't even win a road game. I'm sorry. I just don't get it. I, it's this, Hank. It's that they don't score in running position, uh, runners in scoring position. That's number one. Mm-hmm. And number two is I have never seen a team that hits more solo home runs in my life. It feels like any time they hit a home run, it's when nobody's on base. Every single time they hit a home run is when nobody's on base. They don't score. Oh my gosh. They don't score. The last couple games, they started gaining traction beginning of the month and the first two months of the season. They don't score. They don't score, and it's the most frustrating thing in the world because there's no answer to why. Think about this, Hank. Mm-hmm. We love Aaron Judge. Did yeah. you really think that Aaron Judge through two and a half months of baseball would be the best hitter on this team with a two ninety batting average? Would anybody have booked that? Realistically, a guy that's been notorious for having problems striking out, that he would have been, of all people on this team, having the best batting average on this team. It's, it's amazing. I would it have is, assumed it was David John. 
It's amazing. It makes no sense. And we got another comment from John. Uh, so he says, well, he has two. I, I was going to bring this up earlier. Yeah. You need a center fielder. Hicks is not the answer. Absolutely. Aaron Hicks. Let me tell you something. I know we were talking about DJ LeMayhew's contract. Here's my thing. The DJ LeMayhew six-year contract makes sense. He's not a, he's a guy that you paid for strictly to just like make contact. And he's one of the best contact hitters they've had in their lineup for like a long time. And he, he was really the guy they needed in 2019 and 2020. And the fact that he's struggling right now, like, and the fact that everyone else is struggling when he was the one like guy that was hitting consistent in 2020, it really tells you how the lineup is made. That that's really all I got to say. And now compare that to Hicks. Here's my problem with the Hicks contract. My pro- the reason I ne- didn't like the Hicks contract at the time, this is a guy who like he had a few good seasons with the Yankees. That that was great. Like he did in 2017 and 18. You could even make the argument that he overachieved considering like what he was yeah. the Minnesota Twins. But the problem with giving him a seven year contract, and I know the money wasn't necessarily exorbitant, but like you're giving him that contract when he's like at the age of 30, like. In essence, you're banking on him to age really well. And the, the length of the is, contract is what makes it untradeable. That's the yes, problem. Exactly. And the, and the fact that he's going to be like late 30s, he he's not he was never really a tremendous hitter to begin with. And the and the fact that he has like a 245, 250 average as we speak. Like I know everyone likes to talk about the Giancarlo Stanton contract and don't, make no mistake, that was a bad one. I think the Hicks contract on all in all honesty might be just as bad, if not even worse. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. There's nothing left to, you know, be said about how poorly this team was truly constructed. You know, I don't want to say it was a facade because, again, that 27 team, who knows what would have happened if Houston uh, used the uh, trash cans as a weapon. <laughs> who, who knows what could have happened, even Boston as well uh, in 2018. But it seems that, again, while there's so much baseball left and you don't want to be negative upon this team, it seems like that spark has fizzled out. Even DJ, right? DJ, mm-hmm. you really look at this team, Hank. This guy that was batting 330 and being in the MVP conversation his first two years, and even now batting, what, 250, 260, which isn't awful? Look how bad this team is if he's not putting up MVP numbers. That's that's amazing to me. He also says on the bright side, Jason Dominguez will be in center field a few years sooner than you think. I mean – That's like four years away. Yeah, and this whole team is going to be – John, this whole team is going to be different in four years. This here's whole team. My, here's my problem with that thinking. Like, when he does come up, it, it's probably – yeah, like Kyle said, it's going to be at a different time. And that's the thing about prospects. They're called prospects for a reason. You can't necessarily bank on them to be great. And if you know the Yankees' history with minor leaguers, they have had a bad habit of overhyping a lot of their star minor leaguers. Like Rob you don't. Rob Snyder is an you don't have to. I've been on that hype train for uh, a Michael King, a Justice Sheffield, a uh, a Debbie Garcia. I've been on that hype train before, Hank, and it's it's not a fun ride. And even if I'm going to go back, even a few years, like remember Phil Hughes? Like I mean, oh, don't my, yes. he had a decent career with the Yankees. Like he had a 18 win season, but when you look past the 18 wins, look what his ERA was. It was a little yeah. too high, and then if you remember, a few years later, he had an absolute disaster of 2013. That. So it just goes to show you whenever the Yankees mention a certain name with prospects, my philosophy is I'll believe it when I see it. I want to see the guy playing the majors before you tell me how good he is in the minors. That's that's just how I am. Not to sound like harsh or anything, like a skeptic. No, I, you're, you're I right. Wanna, you're absolutely right. You know, they I, I can't them. trust it just because I hear the name. Like, yeah. And most of the people who say, oh, we want so-and-so, how do you know they even know the minor leagues? That's the other thing. That's an, that's exactly the point. I mean, Hank, you look across all sports, not really baseball because it's the only sport where right. you really don't have that. But you look at like football, you look at the NBA, you know, there's no telling these prospects are going to pan out. It's ultimately a crapshoot. And then with baseball, which I don't want to say what makes it worse, but makes it even tougher is that these guys are being recruited. I think Jason Dominguez got a contract as a 15-year-old to, to play with this Yankees team or to be signed to this Yankees team when he was eligible. I mean, who's to say that this 15-year-old stud, not uh, not to throw any shade at Jason, uh, is it Jackson Dominguez? It is Jackson Jason, Dominguez. Jason. Jason Dominguez. I think it's Jason. Jason Dominguez. Not to throw any shade his way, because I hope that he's a bright future with this organization. 
But who's to say that a 15-year-old is going to pan out? And Hank, you know, st- these guys aren't going to get their starts till 22, 23 years old. So who's to say that at 15 you're going to be the same player in the MLB eight years later? Yeah, no. And do you want? I'm going to bring up one of my favorite quotes from uh, Moneyball. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it's it's on um, my Hank. It's one of my favorite sports movies of all time. Me too. Absolutely me love too. it. One of the most the quotes that always struck me was if you remember it, it was said multiple times. Like the scout that signed Billy Bean when he was the Met with the Mets said, "There, you know, there's going to be a time where you find out you can't play in the children's game anymore. We all know. We just don't know when." And unfortunately, yeah. we know Billy Bean. That's another example. That guy was extremely highly rated prospect back in his day in the early eighties. But then, obviously, he didn't really pan out. But obviously, good for him. Turned out to be an successful, uh, successful GM with the Oakland A's. Like yeah. even if, even if he didn't win a World Series, he pretty much exploited stuff about Moneyball that not every other team knew about, and they've adapted since. But, uh, anyways, uh, yeah, it's. I don't really like to get too high on prospects. Like the last time I really did, I, I, I think it really, I think Rob Rustader probably was the last prospect that I really did get excited for. And ever since then it, it all went downhill. I was high on uh, Torres and Miguel and Duhar. And don't get me wrong. When they came onto the scene, the both of them were absolutely phenomenal. But again, and Duhar had his injury struggles and well, Gleyber Torres, I love him a lot, but again, I think we all, the hype built him up to be this next face of the game. And he's just, he's not playing that way. Mm-hmm. He's not playing that way. Now, I don't know if Tom's asking us what to yank our chains or if he's just like doing this to mess with us or whether he's actually, oh, he's doing it. He's doing it for both. It's okay though. He is, literally both. wants to know, are the Yankees the most overrated team in the MLB? Tom, you know, I'm probably not going to say that's the case. I think the Yankees are flawed, but overrated. I'm not going to get into the whole histrionics as to why they're not overrated, but I'm just going to straight up say no. No, they're not an. I don't. They're not an overrated team. Again, everybody adjusts differently. You know, everybody looks at last season and say they underachieved. Look at what happened last year, and then you look at the year prior mm-hmm. to that. This was a team that had what hang thirty plus players on the IL at one point, and mm-hmm. still won hundred games, and still were competing with the Minnesota Twins back and forth with over what three hundred plus home runs. That's not over, and essentially it's the same exact team, with maybe the exception of EJ LeMahieu. Pretty much the same exact team. Listen, I'll say this: for all for all the criticism that I've given Brian Cashman within the past few years, a good amount of it warranted. Like, make no mistake, I also will praise him whenever necessary. So, I can't necessarily fault him entirely. He's made some good trades, like the Glaber Torres trade was a good one. Like. Obviously, they gave Cashman or they put sent Chapman, sorry, to the Cubs, and then they got Torres, and then they ended up getting Chapman for free. So that was pretty much a steal. He's had other stuff like the DJ LeMahieu, the original DJ LeMahieu signing was also a bargain because he got him for like one or two years at a very cheap price. I never at one point thought that he was a bad general manager. I just thought some of his approaches were not necessarily right. And I've also said that he's had a severe blind spot for pitching. Yeah, I will. I will definitely agree with that. And what I'll add on to that as well is that when building this team, you know, some of the more exciting things, if not the most exciting thing about baseball, Hank, is the home run. And that's what was sold with this team. And a couple years ago when Didi Gregorius was up for a contract and he left to go to Philly, I was so scared because he's the only guy on the team that could hit the only guy. He was a left hander. Yeah, the only and again, only guy on the team that has, you know, multiple tools. He can play the infield well. Good defensive player. Mm-hmm. He can hit the baseball. He can get on base. He could also be really, really clutch, as we know in a significant amount of playoff and wild card games. He can swing for the fences too. He was an all around great player in a Yankees uniform, but with the exception of him, really weren't counting on that many guys to finish off a great batting average for the season. 30-plus home runs was great, but with a 240 batting average, it's not that great because that comes with a lot of strikeouts too. And because of letting Didi go, you're stuck putting in using – you still have to rely on like guys like Aaron Hicks. At, at the beginning of the season, they put him at number three because he was the only left-handed hitter in the lineup, and you see how that worked out. And now, as much as I love Brett Gardner at this point, you, you the only reason they're still relying on him to begin with is not maybe not so much because of loyalty, but because he's one of the few left-handed hitters in this lineup. So yeah, letting DD go is, is a bigger loss than people realize. I've been saying that all year. Well, really 
since 2019. And not to mention, he's just a good guy in the locker room. He's a leader. Like there is no team that wouldn't want to have a DD Rorius on their roster for sure. Now, before I switch gears and head over to the all-star leaders, let me talk about Gary Sanchez for a bit. Yeah. I know I, I gave him a lot of crap the last few episodes and rightfully so, because his average wasn't too great. Now looking at the last week and I promise you, these aren't numbers that I'm just making up. No, I've seen him. I've seen him. His batting average is 357. He's got four home runs, nine RBIs. His OBP is 379 and the slugging is 857. This is his last seven games. And no home run was bigger than the pitch hit home run he hit in game two of the Blue Jays series. And, you know, I also have to give him credit for a fielding play he made at the end. Aroldis Chapman should have just run over and tried to tag Guerrero when he's trying to go home. Gary on the, like, he was lucky that Gary saved him. Gary threw right to the third baseman and caught Guerrero napping, and he was out at for at third. And it was a big reason the Yankees were able to win that game. And I, like I said, if I'm gonna like if I'm gonna criticize Gary Sanchez whenever possible, it, it's only fair that I compliment him when necessary. No, you're absolutely right. I you know to compliment the guy when he's succeeding. The problem is, is again, is just consistency. You know, I was listening to a talk show the other day. I don't remember what it was, but basically saying along the lines of the Yankees would throw a party if Gary Sanchez finished off the season batting like two thirty or two forty. And we both know that's not good. But that's how that's how low he's you know set the bar the last couple. That's the, that's the bar that he's set the last couple of years, and in such a major year too, as we know for Gary Sanchez. Because again, I think his his tenure with this team has been extended because they put a lot of time into Gary Sanchez as we've seen in his beginning seasons you know he was Hank if you remember he was like the first piece to come up to say okay we got we're building a solid young core yes i remember that and, was um that was august thir- or that was like august of 2016 if i remember correctly something yeah. like yeah well actually no he did get called up in september 2015 but i'm counting like his first full major league oh, season oh yeah 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 but and now to see where it's gone to the point where your four hundred million dollar man doesn't want to pitch to him. He's one of your hottest hitters right now for a team that can't score runs, and luckily had one at bat to pinch hit and saves the day for you. Yeah. But again, after this week ends, Hank, you know what's to say that Gary Sanchez doesn't go back to that what he's been doing all yeah, season long? Like, yeah, it's funny. I took my sister. I took my sister to the game against the Red Sox, the third yeah. game, when he hit an RBI double. I'm like, oh, he finally got a hit. My sister, like, because she doesn't know much about baseball, she's like, why are you giving him a hard time? He just got a hit, like, after multiple times up. And she's like, I love Gary. He's the underdog. And I had to explain to her why I was so frustrated, because I had higher standards when he came up. And I know how talented he is, but the problem is we don't see it a lot, and we see him either dogging it or just not do well, whether it be pitch framing or other defensive stuff. It's yeah. it's stuff like that that have made me that have caused me to like rant on Gary the last few episodes. But to show you that I'm a fan and sh- that I'm a real legit fan, to show you that I still want him to succeed when because he's a Yankee, like I'm gonna praise him when he does well and when the situation warrants it. And now, speaking of which, let's go. Let's switch gears and go to the All Star vote leaders. I'm gonna. I here so right here on the ticker you'll see I have this what the starting lineup would be for the American League if the votes were over right now. Obviously, it's not over yet, but let me read you off some of the guys for first base. Obviously, Vlad Jr. is the leading vote vote getter for first base, and I can obviously see why. If the season ended today and if he keeps up this pace, I think that guy is going to be an MVP candidate without a doubt. Yeah, no, there's there, there's no doubt that he's well deserving of that position right now at, at at first base for the All Star game. There's no argument to be made. Yeah, no, he's among. I believe he's still leading the league in home runs. He's got like 22 already. His batting average in the, is in the 330s, and I think he's also leading the American League in RBI. So his batting average is actually at a whopping 343 right now. Oh wow! He has 56 RBIs and 22 home runs and only 45 strikeouts with an on-base percentage of 447. Remember yeah. when people thought that he was going to be overhyped? Yeah, I couldn't be me. <laughs> I was. I, I knew when that when that crew was coming up: Bo Bichette, uh, Vlad Guerrero, and uh, uh, Biggio. I was like, okay, you know, Toronto's going to be legit now. They're going to be legit. And then they started bringing in free agents. They started doing trades like a. Uh, like a Marcus Simeon, like we see at second base right now. A scary team. 
Yeah, no, and he's the leading vote getter for second base. And uh, before I continue, I just want to get back to some of the comments I missed. Um, Tom said Baez just whacked a lollipop, 2 nothing Cubs, and that's still the case right now. Also, by the way, another little score update. The Yankees are up one nothing right now as we speak. As you can tell, I always have like multiple screens up. I always have my MLB network, MLB.com page up whenever I'm doing these shows, just because why not? I'm like, I love to be prepared giving you out facts. And um, uh, John Gonzalez has another comment. He says, get Cashman screwed up with Stanton and Hicks, but he's found some gems. Urshela Glaber. Yeah, Urshela was another good diamond yeah. rough pick. And the next thing he says is, the problem is, who do you replace Sanchez with? I mean, I initially thought Kyle Higashioka maybe for a certain amount of time, but that was probably just because of me wanting to replace Gary for the sake of replacing Gary. Well, so. that's, that's the thing with Higashioka is as great as his bat has been defensively, he's better than Sanchez. And obviously, you know, to Gary Cole wants to pitch to him. He's like 31 years old or something like that. So he's not your long-term answer either. Like he's an older player. Yeah, no. Again, if, if you see me saying Kyle Higashioka, it's more because I've just, I'm, I'm at the Evan Engram stage with Gary Sanchez. Have you probably heard me make that comparison numerous times? I have. Times. Yes, I have. So um, anyways, back to the uh, All-Stars. So Semyon's doing well in, with the second place votes. The only other guys that really are getting consideration, DJ LeMahieu and Jose Altuve, but I can see why fans are not going to vote for Jose Altuve. And I'm not going to get into a whole thing about the Astros. It's It's kind of old news, and I'd like to move past it by now. So I'll spare you that one, but. I'm going to be honest. I bet they would too, Hank. I bet they want to move past it too. Yeah, now, and as far as for the shortstops, I know you're not going to like me saying this, but I'm totally fine with Xander Bogarts getting a lot of the votes there. I I was telling this to Alec Walt when I had him a few days ago. I think Xander Bogarts is criminally underrated. And again, to prove that I'm not like saying that because I had a few Red Sox fans, I truly mean this because he's had multiple Silver Slugger award winners. You look at his av- batting average. He's always at or near 300 yeah. or, at, or at best above 300. And he's got multiple gold gloves and he's got another thing that other shortstops don't have. And that's a world series ring. So, and he's having a really good season too. Probably one of the best players on the Red Sox right now. I, I think that's a very reasonable choice for starting shortstop. You also have Bo Bichette and Tim Anderson that are not too far behind. They're pretty solid, but I think out of all those, I think Xander Bogarts is probably the best choice. Yeah, I think he definitely takes the cake. You know, you look at this Boston team from top to bottom, and they're just you – know, what makes it even scarier about this team, Hank, and I know we're not talking about it from a team assessment right now, but what are they going to be when Chris Sale comes back? I mean, I feel like that's a lot of things that I, I know as a baseball fan I'm wondering, worrying about, not wondering, but worrying about, is that the everything is clicking from every single bat in the order that they have, and then you get Chris Sale back. It's like – Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, I've heard people who are soccer fans say whenever a player comes back from an injury, it's like, oh, we j- it's like we just got a new free agent. That's yeah. probably what Red Sox fans are going to be feeling when he comes back. And speaking of them, Rafael Devers is actually getting the most votes at third base. The other guy- the other candidates are Yoan Mankata for the White Sox and, of course, Alex Bregman for the Astros. But, again, I think you know why Alex Bregman isn't getting as much votes yeah. as possible. Because- and I don't blame them. But I think Devers is another guy. He had a really good start to the season. He did cool off for a little bit, but as Ben Cruz explained when we had him on his our last show, he basically said that like Devers had to like adjust a little bit to fastballs, and that's what he did against the Yankees. Yeah, no, he definitely has. And like you talked about with Bogarts, I think that Devers for a while, because he's been so young, he's only 24 years old, Hank, is one of the most criminally underrated third basemen in all of know a scary fact? He's, a few, he's only a few months younger than I am. I think he was born in October or something like that. Yeah, and I and I'm July of '96, so yeah. Gotcha. Crazy. So, um, and now let's get to the uh, to the outfielders. Obviously, as you can see on the ticker, Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, and Byron Buxton are the leading vote getters there. Aaron Judge completely makes sense because if you really think about it, he's probably carrying the Yankees lineup. Mike yep. Trout, I don't even need to explain much about this one. He's the you best don't. player in baseball for sure, and he's having another quietly good year for the Angels, but yet. As crazy as this sounds, he's not even the biggest star on his own team, if you really think about it, because I would say it's the pitcher-batter hybrid of uh, Shohei Otani, who, by the way, also happens to be the leading vote-getter for designated hitters, which is another choice that I am totally okay with, because Shohei Otani can, like, do anything. I've seen him hit, like, 470-foot bombs. He hit one, like, a few weeks ago, actually, and pitching, he's not too shabby either. His, his average is, like, right around 250, 260. He's good, man. 
And um, before, he's good. And, um, he's good. By the way, other outfielders I want to mention, Adolis Garcia has gotten a good amount of votes. He's probably – I think he's a guy who at the season's end could very well be rookie of the year. I think at one point he was on the top five for uh, home run leaders. He might still be there, actually. But another another hitter that's carrying the Red Sox, Randall Gretschuk on the Jays. The Jays have a really good lineup. And can you imagine when George Springer comes back? Don't remind me, Hank. We're talking about all these opponents within our division and how scary they'll be when they come back. Meanwhile, they're already slapping around the Yankees as it is. I know. It's brutal. And – I haven't even mentioned Alex Verdugo's like in seventh place on that. On that, that shows you yeah. how loaded the outfielders are. And they got him in that. Uh, they got him in the Mookie Betts trade, right? Yes, they did. And, and honestly, don't get me wrong, Mookie Betts is is hard to replace. But they got a they got a really good young outfielder. Yeah, no, it's why I don't think the Red Sox necessarily lost the Mookie Betts trade. Now, granted, they had a once in a generational talent that they got rid of, but to say that they lost it. Not with the production that Alex Verdugo has been giving them. And if you look at that swing, it's perfect for Fenway. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And uh, lastly, let's get to the catchers. And really, there's not too many to really talk about. They're Martin Maldonado and y- Yasmani Grandal are very distant seconds to Salvador Perez, who I got to say, that I'm glad he's still doing well. He missed out on uh, 2019 because of Tommy John, and he won Comeback Player of the Year in 2020. I think this guy is probably the one remnant from the really good Kansas City Royal teams who, by the way, I really enjoyed watching. That was another really good fundamentally sound team. And um, seeing a guy like Perez, he's probably the most indispensable player on that line, or irreplaceable, really, I should say, in that lineup. I have I have no problem with him being the leader at catcher, and I don't really think there should be a close second, to be honest. No, absolutely. I mean, since that World Series appearance, you, you've seen you know all positional players, all pitchers essentially leave that team. He's been the one constant. And I think, what was it, um trying to think Gordon I thought was the last piece from last year that was essentially on that Royals team with the exception of Perez everybody's gone and he's been a constant player and a big fact I they gave him a new huge contract too right Hank if I'm not mistaken and he's well deserving of it yeah no he's probably going to be a role for life and Gordon was too I think Gordon was one of the rare players who really got to stick with the small market team for his whole career and he went out with the Royals too they had a big ceremony for him at the end of last season I would imagine he's probably going to get his number retired by them in that big fountain in center field. And I would imagine Salvador Perez gets the same thing at the end of his career. Cause he's, he's, he's easily the greatest catcher in Kansas city Royals history. Cause I don't, I can't really think of any other catcher that would be a close second, maybe Jim Sundberg of the 85 Royals, but yeah, that's it. Maybe. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. And um, lastly, let's go over the, uh, before we uh, end the show, let's go over the NL lineups. And um, I got to start off with catcher there. Buster Posey leading. Again, another great comeback story. I think if the season ends today, he's winning comeback player of the year, and there really isn't a close second. Absolute insanity by Buster Posey. Like I, I looked at his numbers this morning because I just couldn't believe the turnaround in his career. Because, Hank, this wasn't a guy that just had one bad year. Like He hasn't been no. really good for, for years now. And it's been mostly due to health, and even when he's healthy, he hasn't been putting up numbers. But batting right now, 337, 26 RBIs, 12 home runs. The catcher, and this was a guy that people were saying was going to fall into an early retirement, and yet he's helping the San Francisco Giants stay afloat as the number one seed in the in the NL West. And this is a division in which you have the likes of the of the Padres and the Dodgers. Nobody was even talking about the Giants. Yeah, no, and I remember it's funny. I remember that early injury he had, the Scott Cousins injury, the guy who like ran into him. Yeah. Everyone thought that like Buster was never going to be the same. And yet he had really good seasons after that. Granted, he tailed off a little bit in like the later part of the 2010s. But I mean, that happens to catchers. That's not like that's not something uncommon. And who knows? Maybe sitting out in 2020 might have been for the best. It helped him rejuvenate. And the fact that they get him back, he's he's obviously a leader of that San Francisco team. Other than other than maybe guys like Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt, like he's the one guy on that roster that really knows how to win and Again, I think like what Albert Poole said about Yachty, he's probably the one guy on the Giants that you just cannot replace. He's like, I hate to make this comparison, but he's like the Derek Jeter of what the early 2010s Giants were in the sense that he was like the leader who was the one glued to that team. And coincidentally, like Derek Jeter, they both won Rookie of the Year the same year they won their first World Series. Agreed. Agreed. And anyways, let's um, you try to finish this off at rapid speed. We got Max Muncy leading first base votes i'm kind no of question there for i kind of thought it'd be freddie freeman at one point in the season but max muncie has been going on a tear guy got no problems there 
You got uh, Oz- Ozzy Albies. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, Ozzy Albies. Yeah. He's leading the second base voters. He's having another solid season. And um, it's probably because he's plays for the Pittsburgh Pirates, but I can't, I can't say that Adam Frazier has been too shabby. He's had a solid batting average. You actually look at the NL batting leaders. He's among the top five. I would say other yeah. than Brian Hayes, he's like the one guy in that lineup that you can really count on. And really the only reason you can really watch the Pirates these days, unfortunately. But as, as they're on a 10-game losing streak, the only reason why you watch the Pirates. Yeah, what is it with them in first base these days? I don't know. And uh, for third baseman, you've got really good competition here. Chris Bryant's edging out Nolan Arenado. I think Bryant's having a really good make-or-break year, and it's really key, too, because I know he's going to be a free agent after the season. Yeah, no, I think he's batting around. He's batting around 300. I think he's at like 290 right now. And like you said, Hank, there was questions of whether or not the Cubs are even going to keep him and maybe trade him before the season was to even start and then have the season that he's having right now. It's such a deep central division leading the Cubs right now. Or I think they're tied with Milwaukee right now, something along those lines, but really helping out this Cubs team stay afloat. Yeah, no, it, it is. And uh, let me actually look up the NL Central standings for a bit just to to give you an idea of how important his contribution is. The Cubs are actually... Yeah, you're right. They're tied with Milwaukee. It's actually a pretty big cluster because they both they're both 38 and 30. Cincinnati's two games behind. Cincinnati actually Cincinnati's actually been on fire. They've won six in a row and eight of their last ten. And at one point they were on a stretch of winning ten of their last thirteen. And they've got a number of guys under the radar that I'm about to bring up actually when I get to outfielders. But yeah, the NL Central is pretty bunched up. There's like there's four teams, then there's a whole big space, and then there's the Pirates basically. That's how I sum up the NL Central. Yeah. And um, last but not least, I – or actually, no, we got we still got the shortstops. My guy, my favorite – one of my favorite non-Yankees, Fernando Tatis. You've seen me talk He's about so him. much fun to watch. I love him. So much fun to watch. What there do they call, is, they call him? El Nino? So much fun to watch. There is no question he should be leading – he should be getting the most votes for shortstops. And by the way, let me give you a fun fact. I think – if I'm not mistaken, I believe him and Vladdy are among the young, the youngest guys that are getting like so many votes at the All Star game at this point of the season too. That that's not by accident either. They're really, they're extremely talented, and and they're like number two. They're like number one and two in terms of the home run race as well, right? Yeah, no. Tatis had a big home run against the Mets this weekend. I believe his Grand home run. Slam. They avoided the sweep too. Yeah. Yeah. And um. Now we got the NL outfielders. Got a lot of good names here. Obviously, the top three are Acuna, a drive into left field by Castellanos. I'll make it a 4 nothing lead. And then um, you got uh, Jesse Winker, who, again, the Cincinnati Reds are a team that's quietly been having been on fire lately. Like I said, they won 10 of their last 13 at one point, and currently they're on a six-game win streak. They're really, they're really good, and who knows? Maybe they end up becoming the team that wins the NL Central, but... Yeah, Winker and Castellanos are having a quietly amazing season. Castellanos is actually leading the leading batting average. I believe yeah, he's I think at Wink, three, Wink, yeah, three fifty-eight. Yeah, three fifty. Isn't Buxton at like three seventy, or is he not eligible? Maybe based on the amount of games he's played. I think because Buxton's at like three seventy or something like that. No, Buxton's all, he's third. He's third on the American League. Oh, Amer- Okay, I thought you meant in general. Okay, my bad. No, no, no. no. I'm talking about National League. Buxton. Gotcha. Buxton's in third. Gotcha. But uh, and, um. No, continue, Hank, my bad. The other guys that you have on this list, Mookie Betts is like behind Winker. Mookie Betts isn't really having one of his better seasons, actually, with the Dodgers. But again, I can, I think he's a guy that will probably heat up in the second half. I'm not in the least bit worried about the Dodgers. I know they're going to – I know they're probably going to catch up and win the division once they got more guys getting healthy. And uh, I don't know how the Giants are going to do. I don't know if they're going to keep up the stretch, but I, I can at least see them being competitive. I know my buddy Josh Weinberg, who we had as our guest – the first show can vouch for me on that one. And um, other names you got for outfielders, you got Chris Taylor, Juan Soto, Bryce Harper. Again, these are probably names that like you would expect because they're like superstar names. But again, I, I can't see them like being ahead of the other names that I just mentioned. And uh, Ketel Marte is right at the bottom with like another 3%. That's a guy who, if he was healthy, I would really love him to be a Yankee. He, he fits the need of outfielder and a left-handed bat, but, Again, I don't know how that's going to work. But before I end the show, Kyle, I want to thank you again for coming on. Always fun talking, not really just baseball, but just sports in general, since we pretty much have two of the three teams in common. And um, 
yeah, no, a lot of fun. And I will be, I'm more than happy to have you back again on the show another time this season. And um, before we end off, I want to show off another comment by your buddy, John Gonzalez. Great show, guys. I run a sports show called on FB called the Sports Authorities. Check it out. One of our members, Tom Scavetta, shared your show in my group. John, I would love to. That would be awesome. Great to thank you again for commenting, by the way. You've been bringing up a lot of good points, and I loved hearing your uh, points about the Yankees. But again, thank you so much, Kyle. Absolutely, Hank. Thanks for having me, man. Kyle is, as, of course, you can find out every, find on Review and Preview every Tuesday. He is with Tom Scavetta on Review and Preview. And speaking of Review and Preview, as always, before I end this show, let me give you another friendly neighborhood reminder. Please give us a follow on all our forms of social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And, of course, please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview and Sports. You have just watched another episode of Hidden for the Cycle. And until next week, I'm your host, Hank and Dichter. I will see you.